G'day and welcome to Radio Notes, where those in music talk life, those in life chat music and more. I'm John Merch, producer and host. Today's episode will contain some adult concepts and themes. Our guest is a sex worker and political organiser living in New York City. Writer of a semi-fictional comic called Adventures of Lara Rue, articles about sex workers' rights, and responsible for a super-engaging sub-stack as well, where I learnt our guest has danced cheek-to-cheek with Justin Bieber and received expletive-laden fashion critique from no less than the Australian masked singer, Judge Lindsay Lohan. Producers and stars in porn, and in the words of their bio, generally up to no good. A memoir called Whore of New York, A Confession, has been released, published by Repeater Books, distributed globally by Penguin Random House, and will be out in Australia through Penguin in February of 2022. Liara Rue, welcome to Radio Notes. Thank you so much for having me. The Piano, you did it for a couple of years in the younger years. What was the catalyst for you to do The Piano? Who made you do it, or were you interested in doing The Piano? It's a sort of funny thing where at first I really begged my parents to let me take piano lessons because I thought it was really beautiful. Um, and then once I started taking piano, it became this super serious thing and it was no longer fun anymore where they're like, you have to practice for like an hour every day and, you know, do these recitals and everything. And I really just wanted to play to like make music for myself and my friends and I didn't want it to be this high pressure thing. And so after that, I kind of lost interest in piano. But then in like uh, middle and high school, I started playing viola and that was a lot more fun. Um, I really liked being a part of an orchestra. I was very curious about that because my understanding from the reading of the book was you had to choose between flute or violin is what I read. Yeah. But viola won out, did it? Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like viola players are pretty, pretty chill usually. So that's, I think, <laughs> why I ended up with it. I didn't want to be stuck with all the, the super type A violin players, especially, I think, you know, the school I was going to, there were people who, I think, I think some of the people who, um, who went to my school are now, you know, on track to become like professional violin players and, you know, fancy orchestras so that was just not really uh (laughs) I didn't really want to be in competition with them (laughs) later on we will talk about the versiotious word I've never been able to say so I'm just going to get it wrong and get it right hopefully later on before I do that what was the intrigue of the harp was it the religious background I think it's just really beautiful um I think I mean the the piano at the end of the day is also really a string instrument too. And although it's also a percussion, instruments. sorry, interrupt. It's also a percussion, oh, yeah. percussion instrument <laughs> as well. Yeah, no, it's true. I guess that's, that's the eternal debate with the piano. Um, but yeah, the, the harp I think is really super beautiful. It's not the most practical instrument though, I would say just because of its size and, uh, everything else. I just really like the sound it makes. I mentioned about the religious upbringing and the reason why I mentioned that also was in terms of music, was there music in the religion for which the parents were part of? Oh yeah, definitely. We, 
went to like a very Protestant church. There was a lot of like the typical hymns. It was very traditional, like Amazing Grace or whatever. A lot of the like very like British hymns, I would say. And yeah, I wasn't really allowed to listen to anything else. My dad would put on the rock and roll station when we were in the car sometimes. And he's like, don't tell your mom because it would have these you know, lyrics that were all about all kinds of things that God would probably frown upon. Maybe not Jesus, but definitely God. (laughs) My dad was really into like ACDC or uh, what what was some other stuff? Are you just just playing to a local crowd now with the ACDC? It's like, I'm talking to Australia. I'll just just drop the Akadaka. (laughs) Is ACDC very popular in Australia? Just slightly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like always like highway to hell, blasting. Apparently he got in trouble in college for playing highway to hell a little too loud. And that's how he got involved in his local Christian club, which I guess ended up me being raised super Christian was because I think one of the roommates or one of the building mates heard highway to hell and was like, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I want to ask about learning about hip movements because it was possibly, oh no, I'll get back to that later because I'm thinking there was someone who taught you hip movements and how to move your hips to the music. And I'm trying to remember who that oh, was. Oh yeah, it was my, my Dominican friends. Uh, so Natalie, Natalie in the book played pop music for you to dance to, to explain oh, how yeah, to be that. sexy with the waist area. Oh Yeah. Yeah, that was a definitely a moment. <laughs> was that your first experience of understanding that music could have some sense of sensuality to it? When was that? I think I always knew, especially because my mom was so against it. Both your parents were engineers, <laughs> which I think is important to mention as well, because I have a very soft spot in your storyline regarding that of tech, because I'm going to ask you some questions later mm. on regarding tech, music, and where music might be going because of our affinity with tech but talk to me about that time in your life as much or as little as you want in terms of Mm. how tech shaped who you became right through to a sex worker but particularly through those maturing years um yeah I mean it was definitely like a a portal in a way you know to other things my parents taught me pretty early on how to use a computer back when accessing the internet was maybe not as easy and seamless as it is now. You know, you kind of had to know where to go, what to look for. It wasn't as easy to find things as it is now. The cool thing about the internet back then is a lot of the stuff online was created by people who were really dedicated to a particular subject. I feel like because we all access so much of the web through Google now or through social media, Often what rises to the top is a sort of clickbaity or SEO-optimized content that is just like sort of skims the surface and doesn't, like you would go on these old websites and it would have just like all this crazy detailed information, really well-researched and thought out because the person wasn't really putting this stuff out there to make money off of ads, although some of them were. They were really putting it out there because... They were just a fan and just obsessed, really wanted to make sure the information was accessible to other people. So I ended up learning 
a lot about music through the internet, reading on these different websites. I, I was really into classical music because that's really what my parents let me listen to. So I would read all about these different composers and, you know, music theory, all that fun stuff. And yeah, I feel really lucky that I got to dig into all of that. Was there a sense also of the classical music that it gave you a sense of structure, a sense of discovery within that structure of music? Are you saying because classical music is so structured or because... um, Because it has a narrative that is structured. So yes, it is structured, but there is a story in the way that it rolls out more than maybe some other genres of music. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was also what I was learning in school. And so it was it was just really easy for me to, to connect with it. Um, I think, you know, anytime you get to play music, you really, yeah, start to think about the structure and like the different harmonies, like how everything fits together because there is so much that has been written about the structure of classical music. It was just this really cool thing to, you know, at first just like play it or listen to it and find it really beautiful, but not understand why. And then as I would read more and more online to, really start to make sense of like why it sounded beautiful and why it was so fascinating and interesting. There's also that sense of fandom as well, because as you're saying about that Mm -hmm. passion back then, there just seems to be a less of a sense of fandom for music these days, I guess because it's so easily accessible and there's not that time to sit with it as much. Maybe this vinyl revolution is changing that. Did you get that sense Mm -hmm through your process of being on the computer, reading those forums, that there was a sense of fandom? May it be for classical or other genres of music at the time? Yeah, yeah, there were definitely... I think the first time I really experienced... Um, so I feel like the the people who are really into classical music, it was almost like academic interest, less of a fandom. I mean, I guess academic interest could be just an advanced form of fandom, really, at the end of the if day. If you like reading <laughs> books, it can be, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with the website 4chan. It's sort of notorious now um, for... It's a little darker these days. It it was always pretty dark. um, But there used to be more more fun stuff as well. Um, And there were multiple boards on it. And one of them was a place where people would talk about music. And that's really where I started learning more about electronic music, like Aphex Twin and, you know, all these other people that were very popular online and I think I was really drawn to that type of electronic music especially because it did have that sort of structured quality in a lot of ways that classical music also had where I think a lot of the like really there are a lot of like uh weird synth guys that have the classical music background and then just end up making it on their computer instead of, uh, you know, they're not able to afford or have access to making these compositions for orchestras. So, Can I ask you recently, if I've read correctly, you were actually to the small hours of the morning playing around with a synth with a mate. Can you talk to me about that feeling and that experience that actually being engaged with the instrument, with the synth, gave you recently? Um, It was a lot of fun. Um, I think, uh, living when I, when I moved away from New York and moved to San Francisco, the music scene in San Francisco is really just not, 
not in the same place. I feel like people in San Francisco, I mean, I've never been to Burning Man, so I don't know how fun it is or isn't, but um, it's it's not necessarily the type of music that I like. And I feel like people, um, people don't listen to music in the same way that I like to listen to it, which is this very like, you know, critical, like I, I get really sucked into it and really want to like appreciate all the different layers and everything. It was definitely hard being in a place too, where like everyone had to go home at like 2am. There was no parties that were out until like 7am the sun is rising and you've just been out like dancing all night like listening to something like completely crazy and new I went through this period where I just like wasn't really listening to music for a few years really I was definitely pretty depressed and I think part of it was because I didn't have these like shows to go out to and then moving back to New York um and then also just spending more time in LA where there are a lot of really cool people making cool stuff, I would say. I want people to stop and pause when they read your book regarding that exact line that you said, I stopped listening to music, it didn't move me anymore. Something more positive. Mm. In the book, Amoni in LA was listening to music endlessly. Can you describe to me what music reminds you of LA and maybe particularly that time in your life? Oh, man. I mean, I really loved her because I always tell people that I'll listen to just about anything. I feel like people are always like, oh, like, haha, like, you know, whatever. Like, do you listen to like this weird up noise stuff? Like, would you enjoy that? And I'm like, yeah, I would. <laughs> but I feel like she was really the same way where it was like, I think both of us are not opposed to some masochistic music appreciation moments where it's like, yeah, like most people are not going to go to a noise show because they enjoy it. They're going to go because their friend is playing and they want their friends to go when they're playing a noise show. <laughs> um, but she, uh, she genuinely loved it. And yeah, she was always listening to something new and weird. There was one time actually uh, we were driving somewhere together and she put on this like very obscure song that I had like found recently. And I was like, Oh, like I must've sent this to you. And she was like, no, you didn't. Like, I found this myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it was like the type of thing where it had like maybe, you know, like 500 listens on Spotify yep. or whatever. And it was just like not. And I was just like, how did you come it's across? Yeah, she she would like just download stuff. She was very like not super old school, but like sort of like the LimeWire type of old school yeah. where she would just like download stuff. Could be a passing mention, but the raves in Brooklyn warehouses while you're in fashion, you actually have had a bit of a career in fashion. It's still a passion of yours as well, I believe. What is a club in a meatpacking district? Oh, yeah. So the meatpacking district in New York, it's like historically there was these meat factories there. Now it's like these big clubs. It's like, um, you know, we're like the... The Saudi prince types will go out and yeah, there's, there's a bunch of funny stories of people who would like blow like a million dollars or something buying drinks for everyone in the club in one night. I believe you do karaoke. What is your go? Oh yeah, I love karaoke. So what is your go-to song? Oh man, I think, so I have a playlist of like 30 different 
songs that I have saved. It's a, it depends on the mood, you know? I feel like a really great karaoke song, if, you know, people are down for something very dramatic, is My Immortal by Evanescence. That's like a really fun one. Usually a crowd pleaser, especially if they were like people who are a little emo. <laughs> Total Eclipse of the Heart is also great, very dramatic, but you got to make sure people are going to gonna know it because not everyone... And everyone is familiar these days with uh, the classics. Does that song change from country to country? Because you do get flown around the world globally. Mm, I guess in Japan, I like doing the that Frank Sinatra song, "Fly Me to the Moon." Or I think it was a I think it's a jazz standard, but Frank Sinatra is famous for his rendition of it. In your day job, you obviously get the chance to go and see a lot of great concerts, I would think, and some of them highbrow, some of them maybe lowbrow. And I just wonder what has been, as a sex worker, so in your professional life, what's been your favourite concert? Um, so I got to see the Gerhard Richter write, like a collaboration between um, the, the painter and the, the composer. I think there were two different composers actually, but I'm forgetting the name of the second. Um, but it was, it was like really beautiful. It was at The Shed, which is this like museum slash performance art space in New York that it had just opened like a month before. And it was just really amazing. They did a really good job of marrying the visual art, which was sort of like a, it was like a the type of installation where um, you know, during the day, the art was just up. And then during certain times of day, they had singers come out or they, ha- and then the second part was like an orchestra played music along to a video. But the first part was really cool because it was just like a normal gallery space. And we were all kind of there like, oh, like, when is the music going to happen? And then people who were dressed to look like regular museum goers, like all started like singing and then like moving through the crowd. And it was this really beautiful performance. How important is music and movement as a combination in your life? Definitely really important. I think if I'm not getting out there and dancing, um, there's usually something wrong. Yeah. I feel like it's such a nice way to connect with people and really it's very cathartic, you know, it's a good good way to shake stuff out I did sort of jest in a way regarding the Justin Bieber a lot of people will focus on that but what I wanted to know was in your line of work there's a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding of human behavior and body language in those aspects of life not mm-hmm. Justin specifically but do musicians have a different vibe when you're near them around them intimate even with them are musicians different in some way those that do it professionally I mean um so I think there are a lot of different professions where people um approach um yeah like sex in different ways and I think you know doctors are an interesting example because they often have this very weird attitude during sex and I think it's because they are used to looking at bodies as these like medical objects professionally. And so that's sort of like shaped the way that they engage in sex, which I find really cool. 
But yeah, musicians, I think. Um, so I like to say that uh, musicians, writers, and artists are all professional manipulators, right? Like, it's your job to make people feel something. And obviously, that that's very beautiful. Often, you know, you're giving people these really wonderful emotions. I do think that can also play out in relationships. And obviously, you know, sometimes it can be this toxic thing where, you know, people are just trying to get what they want out of a situation. But I do think, you know, manipulation can be fun as well. And I think, I, I actually wrote about this. You probably read it in my sub stack. But I think musicians can be very good at, you know, especially if they do a lot of live performance or have been involved in dance in some way too. It's like getting good at timing and rhythm sort of reading the energy of other people and seeing like what will be good when um, translates really well to having sex. So it's what you say about music being like computers chess. It's the complex systems of music. Mm. Could you just enlighten us a little or as much as you like regarding that? What is it about music being like a computer, like a game of chess? Um, I think it's because there's this system, you know, and it's like, um, obviously there's like the very Western system of music, like Western tonality and everything. And then there's like, you know, um, a bunch of other music traditions too, which have totally different tonalities, which can be really mind blowing when you first listen to them. It can be very mathematical, you know, and I think synth stuff, especially because it's all about, you know, circuitry and everything. Um, it's really not that far separated from from computers. And I think especially because I, so many people are making music on their computers these days, you really get to look at like the sine waves and like see what the music looks like. A lot of people, it's like you can, you know, score something out and listen to it played back really easily. So you get this visual feedback of like what the music sounds like you know, figuring out that system, like figuring out how to reference like all these different traditions, all these different rhythms, like how to meld them all together. It's a really beautiful art form. It's like, you know, with chess, it's like kind of have all these different approaches. There's all these different strategies, all these different openings you might have to memorize. But at the end of the day, it's like you can have this knowledge. But if you don't have this sort of like intuitive understanding of how it works, you're just not really going to be able to play at the end of the day. Without the language. Like play beautifully. Without the language, yeah. you can't have the story kind of aspect of it. Mm -hmm. People seem to have bonking playlists. They're sexy songs. What song should be on essential sexy playlist? As a sex worker, what song should actually be on that playlist? And, of course, it's not Closer by Nine Inch Nails. We know that. <laughs> I actually really love Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Someone once asked on my Instagram, they were like, oh, like, fuck, Mary kill. I ended up saying Mary Trent Reznor, and people were really upset. They were like, you know, maybe that's the one you should, but don't marry. Like, come on. I was like, well, I'd rather be married to the person who wrote Closer than the person who wrote Creep. Makes absolute <laughs> sense. So back to the question, what song should be on that playlist? I don't have a playlist like that. And that I think um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think people often expected me to have a playlist when they would come to see me. I I just like for it to be quiet. Or like if someone else has music they really like, then I'm all about that. I'm sort of into whatever, you know? But as far as like something I specifically like to listen to, I just I just want it to be quiet. Yeah, so I can hear the other person. There's much other musical delights that can be had in such times. You state in the book, I started enjoying listening to music for the first time. And this was a mixtape that was given to you by Ava. Ava gave you a mixtape of indie rock tunes. And you stated, Mm. I started enjoying listening to music for the first time. Which artists and or tunes made a showing on that tape? Oh, man. So it was a lot of like... um let me see. I think there was like Death Cab for Cutie, Metric, you know, all the sort of like indie rock. I know I have like the the track list saved somewhere. I was thinking about remaking it again in my Spotify just to be able to listen to it. You know, obviously that stuff was very popular back then, um, but it was not really the type of thing that people at my school were listening to. And as much as I loved classical music it was not really the type of stuff that I would put on like repeat and want to sing along to like super emo you know is that what we're getting that high school was super emo is that what we're picking up here oh man isn't it for everyone I guess maybe not for everyone I I actually did not really dress like an emo kid or anything um I had a lot of friends that were goth or, or scene kids. I feel like scene kids are descended from goth and emo and all of that. What endorphins were then being kicked off by listening to this mixtape then if this was when you started enjoying listening to music? Um, just that, you know, there were, there were weirdos like me out there, you know. Always sort of knew that, but I think my parents had done so much work to keep me shielded from anything that it didn't feel like it was something that would ever really be accessible to me but I think yeah around that time I was starting to realize that you know there are all these weirdos out there and like maybe we could be friends we're currently in conversation with the author of horror of new york a confession published by repeater books Liara, what do you think music of the future will sound like, particularly since we're so into technology nowadays? So I, the the person who designed the Spotify algorithm is actually a friend of a friend. It's interesting um, to hear people talk about it. I was reading some some article where people were talking about like musicians were talking about how they felt about it. And some people are obviously, you know, upset. They think it's making music more generic. It's all the same, but I mean, those are complaints we've been getting about record labels also since probably forever, as long as record labels have been around. (laughs) Decca records were there going, Uh, I don't know Mozart, what's going on? Yeah. Probably also like whoever curated the operas, they were like, Oh, you guys just want, this mainstream operas that will appeal to the unwashed masses. So I think one of the coolest things about the Spotify algorithm is that you can go online and you can look at all these really cool details about basically any piece of music now. And you can see what key it's in, the tempo, 
like how it's been classified, like something you can dance to, whether it's not danceable, like time signature and everything. I think it's making it a lot easier for people to learn about music. Like if they want it, that information is all there. You know, I think obviously there is a problem right now where musicians are not being paid equitably. And I think deserve to be earning a lot more from the streaming than they are right now, because a lot of that money is just going all the way to the top and not going to the people that are actually creating what people are ultimately paying for, which is music. If no musicians were on there, Spotify wouldn't be making any money. All right, maybe they would somehow. I don't know. The sex industry previously and the army when it comes to technology, these kind of industries and sectors have actually developed ways of doing things into the future. So within the sex work industry, are there ways and methods for how they've looked at their production and dissemination of work that could work for musicians into the future? So sex work is really interesting to look at because sex workers actually really can't access the most up-to-date technology right now. Most payment processors or even just like really basic website technology, they'll, if it's like not open source and they can ban you, usually they will. And unfortunately, sex workers content is pirated at a really crazy rate and Places like Pornhub and these other sites are able to get away with it a little more because the courts are way less friendly to copyright claims made by sex workers. They're just a lot more likely to dismiss it or not take it seriously. Or the sex workers might not even have enough money to hire legal help to get the takedowns issued in the first place. In a lot of ways, I think sex work is a really grim look at like what could happen to the music industry if they don't start paying people well. I think porn people especially used to be paid a lot more. Um, OnlyFans has changed that somewhat, but I do think, you know, if you just look at how porn performers used to be paid and it was for these long movies, you know, sometimes people would be paid millions of dollars to be in one of these movies. And nowadays that's unthinkable. People can make really good money on their OnlyFans, but I think it's, at the end of the day, it is nice to have the support of a production studio to be able to just sell up, get your paycheck and go home. Not everyone wants to be a business owner. At the end of the day, there's a lot of musicians who just want to focus on making music. They want to make money. Obviously, they don't want to get ripped off. And so they should know enough about how the industry works to avoid that. But I really don't think every creative person should have to be so concerned about like social media and branding and like running their own stuff, like making their own merch. I think obviously it's great in some ways that more people are able to make music and get it out there. But I do think record labels are often failing the people that they represent by not giving them space and budget to really make this stuff and obviously a part of that is because they're not getting the same amount of money they used to make from record sales and I think for some musicians they might prefer that model you know where they're really good at cultivating their fandoms they're really good at interfacing with people but I think you're already starting to see it in music already where a lot of the people who are really successful are not people that are necessarily making you know the most innovative or beautiful music it's people that are really good at working social media 
at like cultivating their fan base, like selling merch, like that's often how people are really making their money. We're talking about there about marketing and branding and branding in particular, and maybe singer songwriter wants to show a bit of flesh as part of that marketing. That's them. That's what they want to do. That's how they're going to portray themselves. Mm. My understanding is that if they decide to market themselves as female, they will actually be shadow banned, I think is the word that's used, or censored is, I guess, what I'd use in layman's terms, where if they say that they are male, then they don't get shadow banned or, or, or censored as much on some platform. Oh, yeah. Um, it's It was really funny. A friend, I my Instagram is definitely shadow banned. They're not even letting me go live right now, which is really frustrating because I'm trying to promote my book. But yeah, there was this one period where I was very, very shadow banned. And my friend was like, oh, it's easy to get out of that. Just switch your gender to male. And then the amount of likes I was getting, like, I think tripled or maybe even quadrupled, like, immediately. I was just like, oh, (laughs) is this what it's like to be a man on social media? Yeah, because I think you use the example of, I think I'll get his name wrong, but Corin Prescott, who is a fantastic photographer. I think it's great. It's artistic, but it's nudes. It's TNA, but he doesn't get shadow banned, was my understanding. Um, I would have to check in with him about yeah. that. I think at the time that I was talking with him, yeah, he wasn't. And it's one of those things where, you know, I love his work. I don't think it should be shadow banned because it's beautiful. I do think people, you know, if they want to not see nudity, they should be able to have that as a setting, of course, just as people should be able to filter anything on their timelines that is too upsetting for them to see but yeah it's just frustrating that photographers and men are able to get away with posting things that women simply will get their accounts banned for what merchandise or alternatives in the future could keep musicians afloat do you think in your professional opinion working with branding working with sell an image uh successfully what do bands and musicians need to look for in the future as maybe a selling point you know t-shirts are always a fan favorite i think those are going to be something that sticks around for a really long time but i think you know figuring out cool little things for people to get their hands on you know limited edition things like little I feel like I don't see many musicians putting out little like books or it's like photos and maybe like some of their like a fanzine like they used to because obviously the riot the riot girls used to do a lot of that yeah and I think those were really amazing and I think there's a lot of people who buy zines or books on the internet and I you know photographers will sell them but I think more musicians should really be doing stuff like that because people love having something tangible that they can hold And people who might not spend money on something that's purely digital will often be super happy to throw down some bucks for something that they can put on their coffee table or flip through. Like, you know, for a while, ebooks were really set to push paperbacks out of the market completely. But these days, hardcovers and paperbacks are selling much better than they were for a bit. And I think that's because people are sort of remembering like, oh, like it is just really nice to hold a book and be able to take notes. And, you know, obviously a Kindle or other e-reader has its benefits, like really easy to travel around with like a bunch of different books. 
But at the end of the day, you know, a book is something that Amazon can't come into your house and <laughs> take the book off your shelf, like can't like erase your notes. You know, I think people are realizing like, oh, this digital stuff, it's like if Amazon has a bug or something and like, or I accidentally delete something, it can be gone forever where accidentally burn your book somehow you can lose it forever but it's a lot <laughs> and it's also the legacy thing as well actually having a body of work yeah. that you can actually pass on through the generations as well which brings me to how can i word this without giving away the ending maybe i won't i just won't ask about it i guess i'll ask about it in vague terms and then people who read the book go, oh that's what it's talking okay fair enough how those that have brought you up can change over the years like a maturing string instrument can that happen mm. liara can people change to a point i've definitely had friends too um you know where people the people that raised them you know at first it was this really terrible relationship but um i think growth happening on both parts you know can obviously help a lot you know therapy is great but also just you know, sometimes, sometimes people just change, you know, sometimes people get into AA or, you know, they do whatever work needs to be done. That's one of the cool things about being alive is that sometimes people just do these crazy radical things and then are a totally different person. How has your music taste changed from that first time you were given, or from the first time you were dancing to the mixtape to now, how has that music taste changed and how has it changed you mm. I think my music taste has really just gotten more broad and more accepting I think I used to you know I think I used to be more worried about what the music I was listening to said about me and I would sort of try to curate I wouldn't even necessarily care what the people around me thought of me for listening to certain music. Um, I didn't really care too much about that, but I I wanted to have this certain idea of like who I was, you know, and like listening to any sort of pop music was like very counter to that. Like no Britney Spears, no whatever. And now I like listen to old Britney Spears and I'm like, this is great, you know, like <laughs> a lot of this stuff, you know, it's like, it is really cool. And obviously it's very different from classical music or like weird electronica stuff but if I enjoy listening to it I shouldn't deny myself listening to it just because I think it's like not worthy of being listened to. I'm still deeply intrigued whether or not you would or have released music of your own. Oh I'm working on it. <laughs> Maybe I can I'll send you a sample of what I've been working on with my friend uh, after if you'd like. Yeah. Liara wrote Thank you very much for joining Radio Notes. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure talking to you. Viara's brand new book out now is called Horror of New York, A Confession, out through Repeater Books.